Welcome to the Daily Bite. I'm your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. Today we read from Luke chapter 3. In the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip tetrarch of the region of Ituria, and Trachonitis, and Lysanias tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John the son of Zechariah in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways, and all the flesh shall see the salvation of God. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers! Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, What then shall we do? And he answered them, Whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, And we, what shall we do? And he said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation, and be content with your wages. As the people were in expectation, and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John whether he might be the Christ, John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit, and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations he preached good news to the people. But Herod the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added this to them all, that he locked up John in prison. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about thirty years of age, being the son, as was supposed, of Joseph, the son of Heli, the son of Mathat, the son of Levi, the son of Melchi, the son of Janai, the son of Joseph, the son of Mattathias, the son of Amos, the son of Nahum, the son of Esli, the son of Nagai, the son of Maith, the son of Mattathias, the son of Semain, the son of Josek, the son of Jodah, the son of Jonan, 
the son of Resa, the son of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the son of Neri, the son of Melchi, the son of Adi, the son of Kosum, the son of Elmadam, the son of Ur, the son of Joshua, the son of Eliezer, the son of Jorim, the son of Mathat, the son of Levi, the son of Simeon, the son of Judah, the son of Joseph, the son of Jonan, the son of Eliakim, the son of Meleah, the son of Mena, the son of Mattatha, the son of Nathan, the son of David the son of Jesse, the son of Obed, the son of Boaz, the son of Selah, the son of Nashon, the son of Aminadab, the son of Admin, the son of Arni, the son of Hezron, the son of Perez, the son of Judah, the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, the son of Terah, the son of Nahor, the son of Serug, the son of Ru, the son of Peleg, the son of Eber, the son of Shelah, the son of Canaan, the son of Arpaxad, the son of Shem, the son of Noah, the son of Lamech, the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mahalaleel, the son of Canaan, the son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. This is the word of the Lord. In a sense, then, our text today has two separate sections to consider. I mean, you've got the the text about John the Baptist and his ministry, and then you have the genealogy of Jesus at the end. So let's look at both. Luke is going to start us out, as he did the whole gospel account, by rooting us in history again. And this is not a made-up event. This is not something just a myth to be considered. This is actually rooted in real history, real people, real time. These are real governors, real governing authorities. So the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, um, Caesar, Tiberius Caesar began reigning as co-regent with Augustus in 11 AD. So this, adding 15 to that, could be as early as, uh, depending on how you numbered things, I guess as early as 25, maybe 26, 27, somewhere in that range. Um, and Pontius Pilate is going to be governor of Judea from 26 to 36. Herod Antipas, Tetrarch of Galilee from 4 B.C. until 39 A.D. Philip Tetrarch, his brother, uh, 4 B.C. until 34 A.D. Um, Lysanias, there's multiple that are mentioned by the Jewish historian Josephus, so it's harder to place that one. Annas and Caiaphas, they're going to be serving in that high priestly role for really the the fullness of Jesus' earthly ministry, those three years or so. So again, historically, this helps us place this. This is likely 26 AD that we're talking about as a time period here, which fits well with what we consider to be the timing of the birth of Jesus, somewhere between 6 and 4 BC. I mean, that would put him, you put 30 onto 6 there. There is no year zero, um, so 24 to 26 AD, something like that, being the time of when Jesus would have been 30. Um, so if he's born in 4 AD, uh, BC, then around 26 AD, he'd be 30 years of age. So this is all fitting together pretty well here um, as we consider it. That would mean Jesus is crucified and rose from the dead in 29 AD, which is just eight years away. As I look at the calendar in front of me, um, we can celebrate, you know, 2,000 years of, of the history of the church very soon. So it is at this time that God sends his word to John in the wilderness. And this is the son of Zechariah. So Luke is rooting us back to chapter 1 here. He doesn't want us to miss that. This is the John I'm talking about. 
John the Baptist or John the Baptizer, as the Greek actually I think says in Matthew's Gospel, he went into the region around the Jordan. So he leaves the wilderness, which is just kind of in the middle of, in between the cities, not in the towns, and he goes into the valley of the Jordan River, and there he's preaching, there he's baptizing, uh, he's teaching people repentance, and apparently baptizing for the forgiveness of sins as well. So that's an interesting connection. We certainly know baptism forgives sins, but this is not the baptism of Jesus. That conversation is going to be had in, in the book of Acts about you know, Paul asking if they've been baptized in the name of Jesus, and they say they've been baptized in John, but not Jesus. So they're baptized. The baptisms are not the same. And John himself will point that out here in just a moment for us to see. So the quote is from Isaiah the prophet from chapter 40, verses 3 through 5. And this is one that we're quite familiar with because it's used liturgically in our churches each year. Um, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now picture a land that has a bunch of valleys and a bunch of hills and mountains. John's job is to level it, right? Fill the valleys, level out the mountains. Instead of having all this difficult terrain to cross, it's going to be flat, smooth, straight. I mean, the, the picture here is that there is no obstacle. There's nothing in the way of seeing and hearing the Messiah who would come. All flesh shall see the salvation of God, which is a reference to Jesus. Jesus is going to come. Everyone will see. Everyone will hear the good news. That's the goal. That's what John's work is, is to do in front of him. It's, what he's, it's going to be a difficult task. <laughs> Let's put it that way. All right. Um, as we look then at John's preaching, he doesn't start out kindly, right? You brood of vipers. The law stings. And sometimes a blunt word is what is needed. It's what the, the sinful nature needs to be, like, bludgeoned. It needs to be put to death, right? And so the law has a place and the Holy Spirit can work as the Holy Spirit chooses to do so. And that's what he does here through John the Baptist. Now, probably connect here to Genesis 3 that, you know, vipers are snakes. So Genesis 3, the serpent, the devil in the garden, tempting mankind, tempting Adam and Eve, that we are in league with the devil. When we are not of faith, if we are unbelieving, we are on the devil's side of this war. And so he is accusing them, right, of being in league with Satan, in which some of them will not repent of that. Some of the people who hear him. Herod is one of those, as we'll see later in the text. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? That would be uh, the Holy Spirit. That's his job, to bring about repentance. It would also be the love of a neighbor, right? Because I love my neighbor, I'll share with them God's word. And so these people have heard that John is preaching. They've heard from others that this guy's worth going and hearing. Give him a listen. See what you think. And so they've come. The wrath to come is a reference to the judgment, which is mentioned multiple times in the chapter, verse 9, um, and again down in verse 17 as well. So God is, oh, I've skipped ahead, sorry. We have Abraham as our father. John is thinking ahead for them that they will try to say they're part of God's kingdom simply because of their birthright, or their lineage, and that's not the case. 
It is by faith that we are saved. We know this from Ephesians 2, right? Verses 8 and 9. But instead, here John is telling them, you know, God can raise up children for Abraham from these stones. It's not blood relation that's going to matter here. God raised Adam and Eve out of the dirt to begin with. So if God wanted to bring forth a person from a rock, yeah, he could do that. Verse 9, even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Um, This is judgment. The tree is the picture of the person here. So trees, plural, all the people. And if the tree doesn't bear good fruit, it's cut down. A tree that doesn't bear good fruit, not, not worth anything. And so chopped down. And people are one and the same here. If you are not sharing the word of God, if you are not loving your neighbor, you will be cut down and thrown into the fire, which is a reference to hell. Um, Romans 11, Paul is going to use that cutting language a couple of times as he talks about really a plant picture, grafting in. The Gentiles have been grafted into the tree. But in that perspective, what we're looking at is that Israel, the original people of God, the descendants of Abraham, they were cut down because they didn't bear good fruit. And so salvation is for the Jew and the Gentile alike. It's for the person of faith. The crowds ask, what shall we do? So they're asking about repentance. They, they want to be saved. This is good. Um, Acts 2, we see a response to preaching like this as well. When Peter's preaching on Pentecost, uh, brothers, what must we do? Is the response of the crowd that day. So here's John's answer to them. Generosity. You know, if you have two tunics, share with the one who doesn't, or food, do the same. To the tax collectors, instead of telling them that they must quit their jobs, uh, he says to not, not steal. Collect no more than you are authorized to do. This, is, this was common practice at the time, and that's why people hated the tax collectors so much. They couldn't really prove anything, um, but the, the governor might say, okay, I need... You know, $100 from this person, and they take 120 and keep their extra, keep the change. So don't do that. That's sin. That's wrong. Soldiers asked what they should do, and instead of saying, lay down your sword, don't fight, uh, he tells them to be content with their pay and not try to rob people. So again, encouraging people not to sin here is John's direction. It's the idea of repentance. Live as God has created you to live. Be generous. Love your neighbor. Don't steal. That sort of thing. The people are questioning whether he might be the Christ. Now, this could be a good spot to talk about who the Christ is or what the word Christ means with your children. Christ is the Greek word Christos, uh, and it means anointed one. It is the same then. It's the Hebrew word Messiah or Mashiach, which also means anointed one. So the Messiah is the Christ. The Christ is the Messiah. Those words are interchangeable, just different languages. Anointed, to have oil poured on you to set you apart for a special service to the Lord. They anointed their prophets, their priests, and their kings. Jesus is all three of those for us. He is our prophet. He speaks the word of God to us. He is our priest. He offered himself as a sacrifice to make atonement for our sins. And he is our king. He rules us and cares for us. So he is all three. We're going to see those three offices again when we get to the genealogy in verse 23 in just a little bit here. So 
John is humble here and says, I am not him. He is, I'm not even worthy to touch his shoes, his dirty feet, right? And dirt roads, open-toed shoes, not a good picture. John's not even worthy of that, which is a, a servant's role. He is nothing compared to this Christ. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire, often t- talked about as a reference to Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit descended with tongues of fire on the, the apostles. The winnowing fork in his hand is a, like a pitchfork kind of idea that they used to thresh. They would take the, the harvest of grain, they'd bring it onto the threshing floor, and they'd toss it up into the air, and uh, it would break apart, and the the good seed that you want to keep and use, that's uh, going to fall back to the floor, while the chaff is very light, and it's going to be taken away by the wind. So that's the picture of judgment. You and I, as Christians who believe in Christ as our Savior, we are the, the good seed that falls back down and is brought into the barn. On the chaff would be the unbelievers that are whisked away, um, cut down, as we have in verse 9, um, carried off into judgment. John preached much, as we learn in verse 18, but um, he's eventually thrown in jail. And specific referent here for his jailing is that Herod didn't like being told no. Herod had married um, his brother's wife while his brother was still alive. So adultery here. And... John told him about it, called him out for it. And Herod wanted nothing to do with that, arrested him, put him in prison. Now this did, as we learn elsewhere, give John the opportunity to preach to Herod more often. And it does sound like it's not just the the marriage problem, but also other evils that Herod had done that John is rebuking him for. So John gets the chance to continue to do so. Herod's actually intrigued and likes to listen to John. Interestingly enough, it's Herodias that ends up being the one that says off with his head. Verse 21, we then have a reference to the baptism of Jesus and the Spirit descending on him in bodily form like a dove. That's that's why the dove becomes the symbol for the Holy Spirit for the church. As you think of how do we picture these things, how do we talk about the Holy Spirit, how do we talk about the Trinity, and when we make a banner or a picture, what do we draw? And so you might ask your children, what symbols do we use for the Father? And what symbols do we use for the Son? Since we use the dove for the Holy Spirit, the Father typically is a hand, like a hand coming down out of heaven, um, symbolizing how he cares for and provides for his people. Whereas Jesus is often a lamb. I mean, sometimes you have, the, you have symbols like the cross for his, his death. You have the, the Cairo, which is the, like, the, it looks like an X with an, a P running through the center of the X and coming out the top. Uh, those are the first two letters in the Greek word Christos, Chi and Rho. So just Christ. Also, though, you have the lamb. If you're drawing something, you you might draw the lamb in, in that place instead because he is the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We see the same words that God will speak about Jesus in the transfiguration. You are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. So Jesus is fulfilling what God has given him to do. All right, we've got the genealogy of Jesus left to us here. Um, He's about 30 years of age at the beginning of his ministry. This connects again, prophet, priest, and king. Uh, Priests began their service at 30. Numbers chapter 4, verse 3. 
Um, Ezekiel would be an example of a prophet who started his ministry at the age of 30, if you read the very first verse of his book. 2 Samuel 5 verse 4 tells us David started his role as king when he was 30 years old. So there's some connections there that can be made. Now the genealogy of Jesus in Luke's gospel will go all the way from Adam to Jesus. In Matthew's gospel, it will go from Abraham to Jesus. So it doesn't start straight from the beginning. But even at that, you're going to notice a lot of different names. And the, the best argument I've heard for this is that Matthew ends up tracking the genealogy through Joseph, while Luke tracks the genealogy through Mary. And so when we read here that Joseph is the son of Heli, that we should consider that idea of him being part of the family. He's the son-in-law to Heli, that Heli was actually the, the biological father to Mary. That's the picture, and that's why they're, they're different so much so. I mean, they, they break at David, at King David. Matthew's going to go David to Solomon, whereas Luke is going to go David to Nathan. And that's, again, the, the reasoning, the thinking of going to Joseph and to Mary. They're both of the tribe of Judah. Now, when you do a genealogy like this, uh, certainly one of the best things to do with it is to talk to your children about who in the list they recognize. We don't know everybody on this list. I mean, Jesus is number 77 on the list, which is a great number, by the way. has some connections to um, Genesis 4, as well as to Jesus teaching about forgiveness when Peter says, should I forgive my brother seven times? And Jesus says, not seven times, but 77 times, or 70 times seven. So, neat number there. Um, but who do you know? You know Adam. You know Mo, uh, You know Noah. Those are the easy ones. You, they probably know several. Uh, so talk about them. Reflect on the Old Testament. These are our brothers. Many of them, I would assume, many of them, maybe all of them, we will see in paradise when we get there someday. So get to know their stories a little bit and how they help point us to Christ and what they did. Let us praise the word incarnate, Christ your Son.